Hey, grace and peace to everybody. It's your boy, Lewis. I want to welcome you all to another amazing dynamic opportunity to be a part of envisioning transformation. And I'm so blessed, honored, hippopotamus happy, peacock proud, if you will, to be with an esteemed, illustrious, phenomenal woman. You all do not want to press pause in any of this. It's about to get real. It's about to get deep. You all just need to be here to listen to it. So without further ado, our amazing guest, she goes by the name Dina. She's a motivator, a harmonious dog trainer, and a Reiki healer. She has a passion for natural medicine and helping people learn about alternative options available for their health and well-being. Dina focuses on bringing balance and harmony to canines and their families. It is proven that animals have a very high level of intelligence and she works to assist people in understanding and relating to their animal partners. She's also a stenographer, which I had to look up that word because that's a big word. There's a lot of syllables going on right there, but I learned it. But without further ado, I just want you all to give a warm welcome to our friend, Dina. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much. I am very grateful and blessed to just be a part of this Awesome, awesome. So, Dana, just real quick, just just tell us who are you and what's your story? Well, I was born in a different country. I am Ukrainian, but I was born in St. Petersburg, Russia, and I grew up there. And I came here as a refugee. My family is Jewish, so Jews were persecuted in former Soviet Union, and we immigrated when I was a teenager. And so we ended up in Minnesota because we had family here, and I came here not knowing any English and have since developed, you know, all of the things that you have mentioned, as well as other various interests. So I'm just ready to share? That's what's up. I want to lift up something that you just said to make sure that I'm hearing it correctly. So English is the second language. Correct. Yes. Could you talk about like, I guess, emotionally and even metaphysically, like what was that like coming to the U.S.? How did you adapt to that? You know, immigrating and growing up where I grew up being Jewish was very difficult in its own right and all of my experiences as a child and all of my family's experiences um, because of it were very intense and uh, traumatic but coming here and not knowing any English and coming here at an age where you know kids were entering teenagehood and you know kids were mean to me absolutely and I would you know go home and cry but um there was one girl that took it upon herself to become my friend and her and I would hang out and she was you know my age maybe a little older and she would literally point to things and say them in English and I would repeat it and that's kind of how that started and I would also you know, watch Sesame Street. Um, also, in the school system, um, not every school had English as a second language program. So I actually had to be bused to another school. And that helped, of course, to be part of that. I also sing and play the piano. So a lot of people wonder why I guess it worked because a lot of people can't tell that I am. Um, from another country. That's just another thing that we have in common. We're bilingual, so you know different languages and the English language. I know Ebonics and English, and I also know some profanity too. So I'm very glad that, that uh, some of them trilingual on certain days. What are you currently working on? We talked about the dog training, the Rike. Uh, I didn't even know what Rike was. Uh, Chris, do you know what that is? I kind of know. Down here, they call it Reiki. I don't know if I'm sure it's the same thing. R-E-I-K-I? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah so yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. 
Rike or whatever you said, reggae, whatever it's called. It's, a, <laughs> it's an energy healing uh, modality that's kind of somewhere between Qigong and massage is my understanding. Yeah, so break it down for our, our, our listeners because I feel like uh, there's some other folks like me out there that uh, it's the first time they are hearing it um, and they're not as educated as, as you and Chris. So I, I just, just break it down for us because this is very exciting information, especially about the, the healing aspect. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I believe, you know, that the best medicine should be integrated between the Eastern and the Western. I think it's very important to have the options and not just be told what you should believe. And so Reiki is a Japanese form of a healing practice, and it's translated roughly into mysterious atmosphere, miraculous sign. And Rei stands for soul and spirit, and Ki stands for vital energy. So in terms of being a practitioner, it is kind of like a universal life source energy. So we are all able to connect to that. And when you're open to that, you are just able to channel it. So I don't necessarily take credit for being a channel for that, but through my practice, I'm able to just hover over people. I don't actually touch and my hands get very, very hot and I'm able to help people move through either emotional ailments or physical ailments. And it's a beautiful experience when it's in person, but the masters of Reiki, which I'm not, are able to do distance healing and distance Reiki healing, which is, you know, so amazing, but it's just such a hard concept to fathom logically that it's very hard to believe. And, you know, myself included, I would have a hard time believing it, but I've actually personally had experience in my early childhood in Russia, I had eczema, which is a skin condition. It's itchy, it's rashy. It can be because you're allergic to certain foods or certain things in the environment or certain things that you are putting on your body or in your body, as well as other deeper things that I think will come up throughout this story. But so it kind of went away. And then in my late twenties, I came back with a vengeance and I was completely covered from head to toe. And it got to be pretty unbearable. I kind of lost hope. And I thought that that was going to be my life. I just, you know, didn't really leave the house. It was just a very sad time in my life. And so I, I went to visit my father. And this was before I became a Reiki practitioner. And so he saw my condition and he told me, he gave me a number to his teacher. And he said, this is an old teacher of mine. She lives in St. Petersburg, Russia. And when you come back home, give her a call. And so I came back home and I really didn't know what I was getting myself into, but I was open to anything that could potentially help me. And I called this woman and I told her who I was and she remembered my father. And I told her my situation and she told me to go into my room that we were gonna hang up the phone and she was going to look at me, scan me, and then she's gonna call me back and we're gonna talk. And I said, okay. So I went into my room and she told me to put my hands on my knees and I put my hands on my knees and I'm just sitting there. I closed my eyes and all of a sudden I felt this heat that started rising through my feet and it kind of was moving through my body and it kept moving higher. And then when it got to my solar plexus, to my heart area, something happened, it like burst and I started bawling and I don't know how long I sat there like this, but 
after a while, the phone rang and we talked and she said what she saw and she gave me some insights and told me to go to sleep. And so the next morning I woke up and my skin was completely clear. Wow. Yeah, it's um, in just one night's sleep, it changed. It, no. no, it came back with a vengeance. You know, the next few days it came back and it was the same as it was before. But that experience and what she told me gave me hope and it shifted my perspective that my life did not have to stay that way. What I did then was started working on myself from inside out. I started going to therapy. I changed all of my health habits. I started treating my brain differently, my thoughts, my everything. And it was a process and it's been years in the making. It's a work in progress. But at this point, I have eczema just a little bit on my hands. Sometimes it has just been dissipating from my body from the inside out and literally like my hands and a little bit on my feet which is so weird it's like literally has been going outward the more work and understanding I have gained so it was the craziest catalyst for transformation and just understanding and you know, we are so connected and everything is interconnected. And just because we don't understand something, it does not mean that it does not exist. You know, in this society, left brain, the logical part is, is so focused on and the right side of your brain, which is the imagination, which is beauty, which is colors, is, you know, told that it's not real. And then we wonder why we're in this place. I appreciate that. You're sharing all that so much. Um, and then also one touch point to maybe keep is um, in terms of this transformation thing, is like the hard part is even envisioning transformation because we're stuck in the physiology and the lifestyle. And so I find that really interesting that you had these two miraculous experiences where the first one was she communicated with you sort of tele you know telepathically however we would describe that mm -hmm. from a distance and then secondly you woke up changed and so then you had a belief when it started to come back that things could change and that's kind of the key thing that that i'm trying to uh get people to share with us is what are the ways that you've been able to unlock yourself from the the paradigm of not being able to envision transformation and that makes perfect sense it's the actual experience of it happening, the transformation happening, and then you know you can go back to it. So thank you. Yes, that is just such a beautiful point, Chris. I mean, it is, it is, it is all about our belief system and what we think is possible. We don't even realize how conditioned we are, you know, how just the way that you grow up, our background, our families the things that we just take for granted without ever questioning it. And so many people just go through their life without questioning certain things at all, which, you know, prevents them from, from shifting into that new paradigm of constant evolution, of constant learning, of constant change, because that is the only thing that is constant is change. And when you believe or when you are stuck in that mindset that you are just the way you are, that this is just the way it is, then yes, absolutely. This is just the way it is. And you are the way you are. And that's just, it's always going to stay that way. And it is just so beautiful, just the way our brains work, you know, manifestation and visualization. It's such a beautiful thing because when you actually experience something, let's say, you know, for me, for me to get to a peaceful state, I picture myself sitting by the ocean and listening to the water and feeling the breeze and the wind in my hair. 
and smelling that salt air and taking those deep breaths, you know, I'm able to trans, you know, transition into that actual state because the amazing thing about our brain is we don't, you know, it doesn't know the difference. It doesn't know that you're not actually by that ocean right at this moment. We are so powerful and we don't even know it. And through, for example, for me, getting to that state when I'm nervous, you know, when I have to remain calm in certain situations, getting myself to that state and getting in touch with, you know, my breath and breathing, which is so important and it is connected to everything, yet we take breathing for granted and most of us don't even know how to breathe correctly. You know, I feel so strongly about the breath. It is directly connected to my work as a trainer, as a dog trainer. It is directly connected to the environment. And I mean, it is directly connected to our peace and well-being. And yeah. You mentioned health and wellness. How has health and well-being and your dietary change really impacted your life and your journey? And what are things that you could be teaching our listeners to do? Yes, uh, I really do treat my body as a machine and as a vessel, and I want to maximize what it can do for me. For example, I have rituals that I follow on a daily basis. And I have done that for many, many years. And, you know, I have not been sick in years. And so, for example, for me, I wake up and the first thing I do is I squeeze a half a lemon into hot water. And that is what I drink on an empty stomach. Sometimes if I want to get, you know, really creative, I and also if I, my body is kind of asking for something, an extra boost, I will take some ginger and I will cut it up and I will boil it for very, you know, on very low for hours and kind of get that ginger juice. And so I will put that in the fridge and add it to my lemon hot water. And then it's not hot anymore. And then it has the ginger flavor. So I will do that. And then I will process that for a while while I go about my, you know, morning routine and tasks. And then after a while, I will do a green supplement, which has kale and spirulina and just like a, an organic green supplements and some chia seeds. And I will drink that. And I'm also having my coffee. Let's not forget that. Um, to which I add this chocolate collagen powder which is good for you and it adds flavor. I also intermittent fast because I have found that my body works really the best with that because when we sleep, that is when our bodies are actually able to heal and to regenerate. And that is when our vital organs have the time to focus on rebuilding cells and all the other things that I don't know because I'm not a scientist. But, you know, when you eat late at night, then your body has to focus on digesting the food instead of working on regenerating. And so you never really get an opportunity to heal. So I have found that for me, it works really well to have a time where, you know, I try not to eat, you know, and we're all human and it's not perfect. But for the most part, consistency is key, you know, and just shifting that mindset is a start. We're all a work in progress, but just being able to shift that thinking is the first step to transformation. I also just want to share just the natural remedies and me coming from a different country and, you know, having grandparents that knew every leaf and plant and berry in the forest and just 
folk medicine and natural healing, I, you know, have really incorporated that into my life. Like I said, it is always a balance of Western and Eastern medicine together. But if I'm able to heal myself using natural foods and vegetables that are available to me, that will always be my go-to, my first go-to. And then if that doesn't work, yes, I will, you know, do what I need to do after that. But why would I choose something that is not available to me from our mother earth, from the environment, from something that we should cherish, you know? So the things that I go to are lemons, ginger, garlic, and raw honey. I feel like those things are staples in most people's households. The thing with honey it should be raw because processed honey removes all the nutrients. And so that is very important. And honey, such an amazing raw honey, never goes bad. You can be around for thousands of years. It's very weird. That is why bees are so important and, you know, to our environment. And that is a whole other conversation because without bees, we would not be here. And a lot of people um, fail to realize that. Okay. Um, again, you blew my mind uh, as usual. So, um, so like as you were talking, all I kept the theme was just sacrifice. Um, we are the most unhealthy country, hands down, uh, and the most privileged country in in the U.S. I mean, excuse me, in the world. Okay, uh, I, I want to say U.S. so quickly. Um, so it was like intermittent fasting i've really heard of it uh studied it i've never committed to it um and then the, the the process of the lemon juice and the ginger juice and i'm just like i mean we're, we're a lazy country we're lazy people in this country uh not i'm not saying everybody so before the folks that listen start throwing darts but, but a good number of us uh so i'm like dang i can't buy that like pre-made juice right i, I need to like boil it in, in the power of water and all that good stuff right but but then Dina, you, 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 you touched my soul when you talked about the raw honey. I, first time I'd ever seen raw honey a day in my life was in Turin, Italy, Northwest Italy, close to, to, to France. Uh, literally a mountain just separates them. I was there for a theological boot camp, And I asked for honey because everything's in small portions. It's not like where my friend Chris is at where everything's bigger, right? <laughs> in Texas. So it, it was just like very, like maybe four ounce cup and I was just like, what type of sick joke is this? And I said, well, can I get some honey? And I was expecting, you know, the cute little bear, smoky, whatever this in. Um, and they gave me this like hard crystallized looking thing. And I'm like, what is it? So that was the first time I'd ever seen, observed and even tasted raw honey. It, it was good. Um, it's also very expensive in the US in certain parts, right? But you, you just, I, I'm sitting here like, dag. There's some things I need to do. And you nailed it that it's a mindset shift. I mean, if you know better, you do better. You and I have had conversations about food, justice. I'm big on community gardens. But the thing that, that I'm curious about is crickets. I know, Dina, we were talking about crickets before we got on, on the line. Uh, could you just drop some knowledge about that for us? Yes. You know, just to touch a little bit on food and community car gardens and sustainability, the fact that, you know, Americans are discouraged from growing their own food. They're not taught how to grow their own food. And the easiest things to grow are vegetables and, and fruits. And those are the healthiest things that a lot of times can heal us and our medicine. And so I think that it is so important to just continue to spread that and to continue to, you know, involve as many people as possible, because just like Lewis said, when you know better, you do better. I think that is very powerful. I'm very passionate about that because as our resources are depleting and populations are growing. It is, I feel so strongly about the fact that people don't take 
protecting our environment seriously when we are so interconnected and we're so dependent on it for survival. It just makes zero sense to me. You know, um, I have thought so hard about it. I, this society is just promoting self-isolation, disconnect, you know, depression, just everything to just separate us when, you know, when we obviously come together, we are stronger. And in terms of just food, even, I'm sorry, I'm just going to jump around a little bit, but even just going back to the breath, we breathe out carbon dioxide, poison that kills us, carbon dioxide poisoning. And then the plants and the trees take that poison and they use it for food and give us back oxygen that gives us life. What more do you actually need to realize that, okay, and these are the things that I have thought about. You are a person, you don't have children, you don't care about anything but yourself. You will never look beyond yourself, that's fine. You're not gonna care about the environment. You don't care because when you die, who cares? It's gonna last as long as you're around and whatever. But if you have children, if you care what is going to happen, or if, you know, not only when you have children, but when you are obviously aware of what is happening and the effects on the environment, but just, you know, in my deep personal thoughts, since we're being vulnerable, when you have children, you want your children to experience things that you experienced. You don't want them to have sparsity. The fact that we have extinction of animals now because we don't care. And there's so many animals that our children and our children's children will never see and will only read about in books. Animal consumption has such a dramatic effect on the environment and the soil. And like I said, I'm not a scientist, so I'm not going to go into, you know, depth of that. But bringing back crickets, which I just have been studying, you know, crickets are the meat of the future. And trust me, I cannot even, like, envision myself eating. Could you just say that one more time for our, it's the meat of the few, the few, I'm, I'm making sure, you know, I'm, I'm a little slow. The meat of the, okay, just make sure, want to make sure. Yeah, I heard, you know, Texas is where it's at. Uh, Honey-covered crickets and, um, and all the other interesting things. I don't know what y'all are referring to, and I'm in Texas right now. I've never, I've seen them in the, in the gas station and places like that in little <laughs> plastic bags, but that's it. We're not all eating crickets yet down here. <laughs> so Chris, I was telling Dina uh, before we got on the line. So like, I just remember uh, every time it being like Seguin um, or San Antonio or, or Eagle Pass or El Paso, every time, I, you know, for some reason I'm out there for something, right? Um, I would, not even just the airport, but like some of those like general stores, mom and pop shops. You know, like back true. in the day before there was like CBS and stuff, right? Um, they would have, again, I'm learning so much about honey. Uh, there were these honey lollipops that were, I guess, designed to be stirred and dipped into your beverage of choice, right? They would have either a bee, <laughs> a scorpion, a scorpion yeah. or a cricket. And I don't know the whole scorpion thing. You got to educate us on that one one day. But, but, but they would have one of those three. And I just kept saying crickets. And I was like, well... And now, um, you know, to get theological for a minute, um, as you see in the Bible, there were folks who be um, locusts and wild locusts and honey. I'm, I'm not going to take it to another level with that, but but I would have clergy friends of mine that would, um, how would you say, personify that with their congregations and or communities of faith, and they would literally eat these crickets. They would they would like order them. Um, they don't eat them live, so I don't, I don't know what Dina's talking about yet, but they would eat these crickets that were uh, different flavors, like, like, like sunflower seeds, right? I, I'm from Atlanta, so I used to go fishing in the southeast a lot. It's one of my favorite things to do till today, and I only use crickets to catch fish, so 
I would have never imagined that being the meat of the future. So we're so sorry to digress. You know, you just, you touched our soul again. So continue. I'm, I'm sorry for our, for our listeners. No, those are very amazing and interesting points and stories. Absolutely. See, crickets have such a widespread use, you know, and um, I actually started researching crickets because I was doing a little research on manifestation and, and what are the best possible things to how to go about manifesting something and one of the things that it mentioned was in order to have something manifest just better and more powerfully you should do something good for nature and so I started looking into what are some of the things that they mentioned and one of the things that they mentioned was to go to a pet store and to buy a hundred crickets and to release them to nature. And so that's what made me start researching crickets. And so as I got deeper into my research, when you release them to, into nature, they fertilize the soil, whatever they do in their scientific process, whether it's when they die or whatever they eat, they fertilize the soil. And so being used as a food source produces 13 to 20 grams of protein per 100 grams. Which is um, really high. We pay a lot of money for seven grams of protein and chocolate cashews. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. And so you just ground them into a powder and add them to meals. And that's a very easy way because I, like I said, I don't see myself, you know, eating crickets that look like crickets anytime soon I'm open to it but a powder I can do a powder I can definitely do a powder and just the sustainability of maintaining crickets uh I don't really remember the numbers but it's you know literally just like a fourth of the use of what meat production uses right now so yeah it's a little story about crickets that I never thought that I was going to share. <laughs> I love learning about crickets now. So, so glad that you talked about that. You know, I really want to get into this conversation. How do the institutions and cultures that you personally interact with, and it could be from a micro level to a macro level, what are things that need to be changed? We have a lot of power. And you said that a couple of times. I just want to lift that up because that's something that under the sound of our voices, somebody out there needs to hear that you do have the power to change, to manifest, to transform. But what needs to change? Uh, yes, well, um, I, I do have a lot of opinions about that. You know, my, my mantra in life is all we're here to do is to love each other to help each other and to learn from one another. And so many people are so disconnected and so apathetic that if you are enlightened and aware, it is your duty to spread it. And it is a very, it's not an easy place to be in. You know, I feel so strongly about all of these things and human rights and autonomy and you know justice and fairness and history and you know me being an empath and me feeling the energy it has been a very difficult few years you know we can even take COVID out of it but just the energy and just me feeling where people are at and, you know, me being involved in the justice system and being a stenographer, which, you know, we will let people look up, but just me witnessing things and just the heartbreaking things that have been the catalyst for even the beginnings of conversation yet again and being brought to the forefront Yet again, you know, unfortunately, you know. And by that, you mean racism and misogyny and the sort of recent Me Too, Black Lives Matter kind of movements or other things? 100%, you know, the things that were kind of um, 
moving forward and but never really gone they have been brought back to the forefront and I feel like people are more ready to receive it now in a different way I feel the younger generations don't want to hear this anymore they are done with this stuff and they want it to end and I feel like you know it's just all about how do we actually bridge that gap because it has been such a hopeless place for so long we can say since the beginning of time but we're just going to focus you know on this country and I do feel that the younger people you know will prevail but we have to help them you know and how do we do that how do we start bridging so I want to I'm so sorry I mean I, I'm I just want to make sure I'm hearing you right so you're a proponent of intergenerational transformation meeting um that, let me put it this way. I grew up, my grandmother used to say this, a village can't survive on a generation alone. And what I'm hearing from you is that we have to help this younger generation, how we want to define that, whether it's Gen Z, millennial, Gen X, uh, but, but it seems like it has to be intergenerational. It can't be one generation that's um, doing the, the, the print or the, or the stamp on what change needs to look like and we just go with that we all got to work together am I, am I hearing you right with that 100 percent. you know um it definitely affects all of the things that we're talking about right now as well as the environment and the things that we were talking about you know before obviously you know the older people uh, have the power and they have the resources and so yeah they have the money you know and what what mindset are they stuck in and do they want to shift and transform and get with the program or are they so comfortable and they don't want to be bothered that they will continue to perpetuate the things that are happening so there's just a lot that goes into that as you know yeah, I'm so thankful that you said the C word um, comfort for those that uh, weren't weren't following uh, a lot of the different colloquialism to go with. But I felt like this comfort zone concept is really what's creating more despair than hope. And for me, every time I go back to the neighborhood, I used to live in, in North Minneapolis. And when I go by George Floyd Square, it, it's, it's not memorializing, it's not uplifting. Well, or whenever I go back to the neighborhood I lived at in North Minneapolis, it's not transformative. It's not even liberating. It's just depressing. It looks like a war zone. I think I'm one of the few people who's bold enough to say that publicly, because uh, it does. I mean, they're, they're serving product, and folks can look up that term too. But folks are serving all types of stuff, living in there. It's boarded up with cups food, and, and, and it's not uplifting. It, it, to me, it doesn't memorialize even show a level of honor of the life of George Floyd, let alone whatever Black Lives Matter was supposed to mean at, at that particular chronological time and place. So for me, I'm just saying, as a young Black male, every time I go to the Twin Cities and I talk, especially with clergy, and I'm very hard on the church. I don't know if anybody else is like that on this call or listening, but I know personally, I'm very hard on, on my peers and, and my colleagues that are clergy because the question I have is like, what is the church doing? Like we need to be not the catalyst because when we talk scientifically, a catalyst is just where two elements sit and do nothing. <laughs> it's just, a, it's a lounge for them to chill. Um, but a convoy is where they actually interact and create something new. So how do we move from being a catalyst to a convoy of hope uh, as a faith community? You know, you're absolutely right. It is hard to find hope a lot of times. But I guess I, I am an eternal optimist. I do believe in connection being the only way for us to get through this. And I do believe that in terms of connection and community and just knowledge, there's so many cultures not 
in America for the most part, although there's a lot of cultures in America that will resonate with this, where the elders are valued. There's certain cultures where when the children get to a certain age, and I'm sure a lot of people will be familiar with this, they only spend time with their grandparents because, you know, the children just came from where the grandparents are going. And that's like a lot of indigenous cultures believe that. And so they spend a lot of time with their grandparents and that's how they gain knowledge and that connection. And that is lost in this culture. When, um, when people get to a certain age, they're thrown into a nursing home and forgotten about, you know, where is the, you know, hordes of school children going to the nursing communities or assisted living communities to hear stories that will be lost and forgotten when these people pass. And when history is not known, it will repeat itself. And so that is a major component for this hope and change that should, you know, only come. I feel like and I, you know, I, I know you will relate, but young people will connect to the grandmothers that will come out on the street and tell them to get their butts inside or the people who have already been through certain experiences that come back and they share them and they take these young people under their wing. It should be about that. When people realize that unless you come back and you serve and you are, you know, committed to ensuring that our future generations survive, then yeah, this is hopeless. But we can all do this and we can all do a little bit. And if you can all just be one, a mentor, if you just, you know, give some positive words or energy to just somebody, you know, young people, old, old any people, then we're all committing to that change and that shift and that's just I feel like on a realistic level that anyone can do because when you think about change and shift and hope and you know changing institutions and and you know it's I think it's a very deep conversation when you break it down but so sometimes it's just so overwhelming you don't even want to think about it you don't want to you don't want to just even be there so that's why a lot of people just numb themselves to this because they feel that if they can't affect change, then they just need to focus on themselves because they need to protect themselves from everything. And they just need to just live in their safe comfort zone bubble. But those things are very realistic to do, you know, just to be kind, just to share. Can I um, ask uh, on those things? sort of put into language that I've recently through our last issue come to use to like describe my long search for sort of what is the, what is the right place to be with all this stuff. And um, there's a simple sentence and then a couple of characteristics that I hear you describing, but I wanna make sure that I'm not confirmation bias on those things. So one is this idea of a kinship worldview, which is becoming to me the way forward, the way out of this, this mess of, abusing ourselves, abusing each other, abusing the environment, abusing the future, you know, the downward spiral kind of world that we are now kind of at critical mass with. And so the, the phrase is that each person wants to be an important individual in a nurturing community. And I really critique America as a society as being the opposite of that. We try to make people into Kim Kardashian or, you know, the Joneses or whatever, whatever your social model is. And we certainly don't provide nurturing community as a society. We sort of have a warrior king society. If you can make it, you know, then you're a star. And if you can't make it, good luck. But then also related to that, you know, how do you get out of this paradigm of not knowing yourself because you haven't had enough of a community to say, you know what, your feelings matter. Your feelings are everything. Your sensitivity and your strength, your intellect and your simplicity, all these things are so valuable. You know, we love you. We want you. And we, we don't have that kind of social construct at the moment. And I see that, Lewis, very clearly in the you know, New Testament, love thy neighbor as thyself says, you are mm. sacred and so am I, you know? And this is the same idea as a kinship worldview. And so the, the techniques kind of, according to another podcast we did, we'll say, what do you do to build kinship? You know, what do the people do in the bush 
And it's like, well, um, same kind of stuff that Marcus was saying. And you, I don't know if you know Marcus, but he's in Minneapolis too. Um, and it's like, you know, you, you try to make a connection, like you're saying, you try to make people laugh, you know, you're happy to see them. You don't approach them with the stranger danger stuff. Instead, like you said, you try to give them something positive. You, you try to listen to what they're feeling if they're in a state of stress, or you try to make them laugh if they're, you know, feeling awkward or whatever. And just that's, that's the way we, we build out of the downward spiraling and back into, I, I love that you've said connectedness so many times without having met yes. you or talked to you before, because that has become the theme for me. You know, so anyway, I just want to throw all that back sort of as a reflection on what you were just saying and see how you feel about that language. Yeah, and I, I just also want to, Dean, you know, I think that you're going to inspire so many, not just generations, but particularly women, because the Bible has so much sexism in it, and we rarely talk about it as Christian reformed leaders, if you will. So the Seraphonician woman, it really does show Jesus having a level of racism and sexism in him, making him human too, by the way. But we don't really talk about how that manifests in scripture. And what I'm getting at is so many women aren't even named in the Bible. So that's a whole different thing. So I'm just so thankful that um, you are sharing your voice, your story, and your testimony, because so many women I know that are um, probably going through a lot of what you've experienced and what you shared are definitely going to be aspired to inspire before they ever expire. So please, I I'm done talking. I got no more to say. Go ahead, dude. It's all you. Let me give the, the term to you. It's all you. Oh, well, thank you. Those are very kind words. And I really appreciate that. You know, you're absolutely right. It is all about kinship, you know, as you were saying, Chris, um, just in, in general. And yes, I am very passionate about just connection and humanity and just love. We, you know, we all just want to be happy and we want to be secure and we want to be free. We all have the same needs. Every single person in the world, that is all they want. And, you know, when we simplify things instead of all of these complexities that are, you know, built upon our um, neuro-linguistic programming, the programming of each society and the conditioning and the norms that are just ingrained in us that we don't even question, you know, those are the things that separate us. And so when we're able to just reconnect to our basic needs, our breath, <laughs> you know, our uh, similarities. You know, I know it's cliche. Everybody says, you know, focus on your similarities and not your differences, but those similarities are so simple. Just listening to someone without having the need to respond and just hearing their story because our reality is only based in our perception and our experience of how we envision the world. And, you know, going back to just being close-minded and not being able to shift that paradigm, when you only know those things and you are not able to open your mind and just hear another person's story. And even though it may not be your own experience, and even though you may never be able to relate to exactly what they are going through, the humanity in all of us and just, you know, being compassionate, that is the key to all of this. Gratitude is the key to happiness. You know, being just mindful and grateful for things just elicits peace for me. And so I think that is the beginning of all of that. And I do hope that, you know, I have <laughs> inspired someone and I, you know, I'm very passionate about empowerment in general and women and women knowing how strong and powerful their voice is. And 
you know, just humanity in general, we all really do need to work together. So I know it's a little, you know, naive of me in reality sometimes. However, I believe it 100%. Well, I want to interrupt on that because um, I think that's some of our conditioning again, this, um, if I may say, you know, this like uh, idea that we're being naive by saying we should try to be more connected and try to work together more because number one, back to the body, it feels better to be in that community or that society, you know, sort of like end of, end of competition. It's just a better feeling in your everyday when you're not in an oppositional place with the you know polarized politically, racially, economically, whatever. Not that this is a pro-socialism political podcast, as Lewis is saying. You know, we're not trying to steer into ideology, but just as as you're saying, the the emotional connection, the humanity, and also um, what you just said. Literally, the simplicities are so simple, and yet they're so deep. The ones that you listed. You know, people want to feel known and and we want to be happy and we want to be you know safe secure like that's everybody and you know want to be connected like you said you want to be important to other people and you don't want them to abuse you you want them to nurture your individuality and so all of that is a feeling just like um the act of breathing you know that that you were talking about stilling in the in the very beginning your mind going to this place in your mind because your body can can take that like again that feels physiologically good it puts you into a state of good decision making you know you're not in the the antagonized stress response state anyway i don't think it's naive at all i think it is physiological truth and that's a really good North star or compass for us to follow. And I hear you saying that in a, in a different way also, that that's been sort of how you've found your rooted way into a healthier life, you know, happier life. Thank you, Chris. That is really, yes, that basically encompasses everything that, you know, we are talking about. And I do want to just touch a little bit on breath. I use it a lot in my dog training because you know, dogs and children are the only beings that breathe correctly, naturally, um, diaphragmatically, all the way to the belly. Most adults never breathe past their chest, and therefore, they are constantly hyperventilating and in a constant state of stress and anxiety because. As we all know, when we have taken that deep breath, whether or not we have taken it, you know, later than we should have <laughs> to calm ourselves or whatever it may be, but when we finally take a deep breath or a couple of those deep breaths and we enter that peaceful state, we can recognize that state if we are mindful of it. And that is that state of peace, this present moment is you know, really the only thing that you can focus on to be happy for talking in those kind of terms. But in terms of breath and training, animals respond only to our energy and the way that they communicate is through energy and body language and tone. And, you know, humans actually have to learn animal psychology. So that's where I come in. And you know, I'm not going to get into too deep into training. However, just one example is I had this family, um, these clients of mine who had a very hyper Rottweiler and the son was autistic. So he was very tense, very anxious. And every time he would come home and visit from college, they, the dog and the son would just have a lot of issues. And so when I came in, I just had everybody just stand and breathe in a circle. And we all took deep breaths. You know, I just wanted to simplify it before I started even explaining anything. I wanted everyone to stand in a circle. And they probably thought I was very weird, which is what most people think about me all the time. Um, <laughs> but uh, I had everyone stand in a circle and breathe very deeply, diaphragmatically. 
with their hands on their belly to the point where they feel their hand move on their belly. And so we stood in a circle and the dog who was just, you know, being wild and hopping around came and laid in the middle of our circle, lay down on, on his side. And it was just such a beautiful experience of connection and paradigm shift and transformation. And from there, anything is possible, right? So it was just a beautiful experience of breath. It was beautiful. Wow. I think yes, that was I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, breathing on my my hand belly right there. But yes, <laughs> that was awesome. Um, I wrote down something that you said, and it was um, I think that we're all, if I can use my theological language, called uh, to love one another, help one another, and learn from one another. So, what is the vision that you have? I mean, what's your message to the world? Um, well, uh, I, I feel that my message would be to choose connection, to choose happiness, to choose gratitude, you know, to choose positive mindset, because a positive mindset does not change your situation, but it does change the way you respond to things that will help you transform your life. I'm so thankful that you talked about therapy earlier on in your story, because uh, I see a therapist and I remember the first thing they said to me that just rocked my world was that I'm only responsible for my actions and reactions to situations. Mine being the operative word, not someone else's. So if somebody is hostile, I'm only responsible if I meet them at that level or if I choose to take a different route. So very thankful that, that you had said that. And then the, the following question I have, with that vision that you're casting out to the world, what can we as the listeners be doing to help carry that vision or to help you with the message and the work that you're doing? Well, to bring it to just a completely basic level, it would be just, you know, choose kindness, choose to take a deep breath before you react in a situation. Choose to do something good, whether it's on a small level, on a one-on-one -on -one level, whether it's you know through your community, through certain organizations, through church, just do something that is good that you can handle because we all can handle something. We just choose to not leave our comfort zones, which, you know, if you don't leave your comfort zone ever, it will eventually kill you, either literally or, you know, metaphorically. So I feel that we are all responsible for how things are going to turn out. And because we are so interconnected, one action does make a difference. And I just really hope that, you know, the listeners feel the connection and it gives you hope that you're not alone, even when it feels like it. And there are a lot of like-minded individuals out there that want the same thing. That's amazing. And um, I, I think I've said this like three times now. It's the last question I'm gonna ask. What is it that keeps you going each day because I think the number one battle that we face is just waking up and taking one day at a time what is it that that's giving you um I, I don't know that energy the tenacity veracity to just continue to inform influence and inspire those well, for me, it is definitely, you know, I'm very spiritual. So taking time for myself and um, practicing certain things and just being in nature and being grateful and just being mindful of the little things 
you know, obviously I'm only human. I get frustrated. I have bad days, but just being able to, you know, come back into focus, realize that this is just a bad moment and also realize that I do have control over shifting, you know, my state of being, whether it's my physical state of being or, you know, the state of being of where I'm at in a current situation or the state of being of the world as a collective. So I have faith and I have hope. I believe in humanity and connectedness. I know that there's a lot more good than evil out there. And I just really would love to have these outlets where people can share and come together and through that find the community and connectedness and realize, you know, how much more powerful and stronger we are together. Wow. As we say in church, amen. Or amen. as we say in <laughs> or as we say in spiritual realms, Ashe. So Dina Kunin, thank you so much. Remember, we are talking about envisioning transformation. I'm your host, the host of the most, you know, uh, Reverend Lewis Tillman. Please go to allcreation.org to get a grasp of just some powerful and dynamic and amazing people like her. You, you don't want to miss out because again, these are amazing connections. These are amazing stories. Dina, again, I can't uplift you enough. Thank you for just taking time out and being with us. In church, we used to have this song that I love so much that somebody prayed for me and had me on their mind. They took the time to pray for me. I'm just so thankful somebody prayed for me. I'm just so thankful that you took the time to be with us and really the vision to walk alongside you and your journey and to help uplift and empower as we continue to carry out a vision that you have cast for us. So again, it is so great to be able to do another amazing interview and you all just stay locked. We have a lot of great stories along with you. Peace.